Amen. Thank you, Brother Terry. I believe he's persuaded, don't y'all? Amen. That's a great song. Thank you for sharing that. Thank all of you for worshiping this morning. Thank our praise team, our choir, and thank you. If you brought your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 24. We want to look at Acts chapter 24 and also Matthew chapter 25 as I share with you a sermon entitled, When I Have a Convenient Time. When I have a convenient time. So we're going to look at Acts 24, 23 through 25, and then Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. So first of all, Matthew 24, verse 23 through 25. So if you would and can, please stand for the reading of God's Word, His inspired, infallible, inerrant Word. Just remember as we read, God is speaking to us, speaking to you, speaking to me. Acts chapter 24, verse 23. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned, as Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control and judgment to come, Felix was afraid, and he answered, Go away for now, and when I have a convenient time, I'll call for you. Now, if you would, turn back to Matthew chapter 25. Familiar, uh, familiar passage about a parable, parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Let's tie these two passages together. Matthew 25, and we'll look at verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But those wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, say, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, and he said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. I want you to notice verse 10 in that passage again. And when they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him for the wedding, and the door was shut. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had to worship you. Now please speak to our hearts. 
And Father, help us to be open to your Holy Spirit. And Father, at appropriate time, we pray, Lord, we'll be obedient to what you'd have us to do. I pray for those who are not ready for your coming. I pray today they'd make themselves ready. I pray this would be the time of their salvation, the day of their salvation. Help us as Christians to take our commitment serious, Lord, as we prepare for that day that you come to take your church to be with you forever. Give me the right words to say, the right spirit to say them in. And Father, speak to our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. When I have a convenient time, our main text is going to be in Acts chapter 24, 23 through 25. 23, 24, and 25. This, those, just those three simple verses. And we'll look at Matthew or we refer to Matthew 25 in just a few minutes. Our text this morning takes place in a Roman prison. Keep that in mind. It's in a Roman prison and Paul is standing in chains and this prison is in Caesarea by the sea. I mentioned last week, I believe it was, that I had an opportunity to go to where this prison is located and where Paul was writing at this time and where he was speaking to Felix and Drusilla. So it takes place in a Roman prison uh, located in Caesarea by the sea. Caesarea by the sea was the capital of the Roman province of Judea. Now, there are two people seated there listening to Paul preach. Uh, first of all, you have a, percur a percurator, a percurator by the name of Felix. And a percurator is someone who manages the finance affairs of the Roman government, of the Roman province. And so he, was, he had a high position, he had a high office. He's a percurator. And then his wife was there, Drusilla, Drusilla. She was Jewish. I've, never, I've always wondered, why would you name your child Drusilla? But anyway, that was her name. She was a Jewish woman, and she was familiar with Christ. No doubt she had heard a lot about Christ being Jewish, and so she had, um, no doubt, had requested that uh, Felix, her husband, would hear some things from Paul. And so they were seated together, and Paul was preaching. In verse 25, Paul says... Uh, the Bible says that Felix was afraid. The King James says that Felix was troubled. He's kind of shook up. Now that was kind of strange when I read that because Paul is in chains. Felix is the judge, but Felix is afraid. Felix is troubled. Felix has an army, but Felix is afraid. Felix has great power, but he was afraid. He had great influence. But he was afraid. Felix had an exalted position, worked for the government, but yet he was afraid. And Paul is standing there in his presence. And Drusilla, Drusilla she is also listening to what Paul is having to say. And so they were both, they came to hear what Paul had to say, but they really didn't expect to hear what they heard. They were expecting something mystical about Jesus to be said. They wanted to hear about some of this magic stuff that Jesus could do as far as performing miracles and what have you. So they were expecting the mystical. They was also expecting the philosophical. They wanted to hear him speculate and to... To, uh, to make a statement that was a philosophical statement that maybe the scribes and the Pharisees could take argument with. But they were expecting a theological statement from Jesus. 
And they probably was just expecting an argument from Jesus that no one had an answer to. That Jesus just make this argument and there would be no answer. No one had thought of it before. So they were expecting to hear those things, but they heard something different. They heard none of that. What they heard is found in verse 25. Verse 25 says they heard Paul preach about righteousness. Righteousness. Then they heard him preach about uh, self-control. Righteousness and self-control. Then they heard him preach about the judgment, the coming judgment of God. And that kind of shook them up. And so Paul was preaching and all of a sudden uh, uh, Felix, he became nervous because uh, Paul talked about a day when we're going to stand at the judgment bar of the Almighty. If you would, jot down Romans chapter 2, verse 16. Listen to this verse. Paul was preaching about God's righteousness and God's uh, and self-control and God's judgment. Romans chapter 2, uh, verse 16. Listen to what it says. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my judgment. See, there's a judgment coming. All of your secrets that you haven't told anyone about is going to be brought out into the open. Do you know that? Everyone's going to know. God knows already, but he's going to make all those secrets known. In the day when he judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to the gospel. Jot down 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether it's good or whether it's bad. So we're all going to appear before Christ at the judgment seat uh, of God just to hear those things good, those things we've done good, those things we've done bad. Jot down Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20 speaks of another judgment. Revelation 20 verse 11 then I saw a great white throne judgment, or a great white throne in him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open. another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in those books. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades... Uh, delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, each one according to their works. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so you have that, those scriptures referring to the judgment. The judgment for the Christian, not for our salvation. That's taken care of on this side of the grave. Uh, but the judgment for our rewards and for how we've served the Lord, that judgment seat of Christ. But then you had the great white throne judgment, and that's for the lost person to be condemned forever, to be separated from God forever. So Paul is speaking, uh, speaking to them about righteousness and about self-control, but also about judgment. And they heard this. And so you, first you have the message of Paul, if you're taking notes, the message of Paul. But secondly, you have the conviction, the conviction of Felix. Now what happened when Felix began to hear about righteousness, self-control, and judgment? As Paul preached, the Bible says, as he reasoned, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit reached down into the very soul of Felix. Holy Spirit convicted 
Felix, he was under conviction. Have you ever been under conviction? You may be under conviction today. If you've ever been saved, you've been under conviction. God convicted you that you needed a Savior. He convicted you that you were a sinner by nature and by choice. And Christ came and died on the cross for your sins. And if you accept Him, your sins will be forgiven. If you reject Him, He's a holy and just God. You have to pay for your sins yourself in that place called hell. You've experienced conviction in the past as a believer, and you humbled your heart, and you asked Christ to forgive you and to save you, and you dealt with that conviction. But some are being convicted today. And like Felix, and we'll see that in a moment, he just pushed it off to another day. It's a bad decision. But Felix was convicted. He was under conviction. He kind of felt the tug and the pull and the power of God on his life. You felt that if you're a believer. I remember when I was saved, it felt like something was drawing me to Christ, just pulling me along. And, you know, I've heard preachers say, and I've said it myself, if you'll just take the first step to Christ, the second one's going to be so easy. And I found that out by experience. You take that first step, and all of a sudden you find yourself just wide open going down to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. That's the conviction power that Felix felt in his life. The Lord touched him. His soul was quickened. His conscience was all, all of a sudden was sensitive. His heart was softened. Everything was ready for him to say, Yes, God, I'll, I'll accept you. I'll accept your son to be my Savior. But you see, Felix knew how his life was as he stood there in all that conviction. He knew how his life was as he stood before Paul, but not so much before Paul, but he began to tremble when he realized that he was convicted of his sin his sins, and he was standing in the presence of God. That'll make you tremble. If I was lost right now, I know what it's like to tremble in fear because I was afraid to go to hell when I died. Some of you know that. Some of you experiencing the trembling right now. You know a decision you need to make for Christ, but yet for whatever reason, you put that off. But, but Felix and Drusilla, they knew their life was in a mess. Drusilla's life was a mess. Felix's life was in a mess. Drusilla's life was in a mess. She was married when she was very young, about 10, 12, 13 years old, kind of a political marriage arranged by her father. She was married when she was very, very young. Then she was married again when she was 16 years old. Then she ran off from that husband to marry Felix, and, that, and she was the third wife that Felix had. Their life was in a mess. And Paul is standing there, not talking something mystical, not saying anything philosophical, not saying anything except righteousness, self-centeredness, opposite of self-control. You're just loose like everything, living your life real loose. You don't care what's happening in your life. And then speaking, about, speaking to them about one day, judgment's coming. And they became nervous. Felix began to shake. They were, they were a guilty pair as they stood there while Paul was preaching, reasoning in verse 25 about righteousness. They were so unrighteous. Reasoning about self-control. They knew nothing about self-control. Reasoning, reasoning about the judgment of God. Here this young girl, Drusilla, 
lived this sinful union with a worldly husband who always wanted to get his way regardless what he had to do to do it. And then Paul preached judgment to them. The judgment to come. You haven't experienced judgment yet. You know, you think, well, I've experienced judgment. You haven't, you haven't experienced any judgment. You haven't. Cana and I was talking the other day, and we crossed over Tennessee Valley Dam and uh, at the river, and, and there was the dam. There's, there's the, the lake. There's the reservoir. There's, uh, uh, you know, that Tennessee Valley Reservoir there, and that dam's holding that water back. And that's what God's judgment's doing. You know, God's withholding his judgment. is just keeping building up, building up, building up, and building up. And one day he's going to let that judgment loose. And there, it will come just like that dam letting all that water loose. So you have the message of Paul, you have the conviction of Felix, and then you have the response to his message. Notice that. I was thinking, you know, wouldn't it have been great? He didn't do it, but just what if, if Felix had just walked over to Paul, just walked over to him and unloosened his chains and shook his hand, and he said, Paul, I believe every word you're saying about Jesus. I believe every word you're saying about righteousness. Self-control, judgment's coming. I believe every bit of that. And I'm, I'm giving my heart and my life to Jesus today. I'm trusting him to be my Lord and Savior. That's what he should have done. But he didn't do it. He didn't do it. Paul, Paul said, listen, uh, he, Felix says, Paul, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait till some other time. Verse 25, he replies to Paul. He says, Paul, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I'll call for you. I'll call for you tomorrow, tomorrow, some other time, maybe tomorrow. So the point is, that was all that it took to damn Felix's soul to this place called hell. That's all that it took. Two years from that answer he gave to Paul. Two years he abused his office as a, as a procurator. He was recalled by, back to Rome by Nero. He was disgraced publicly by Nero. And then he committed suicide. That was his life without Jesus. What an hour. What an hour to be there in the Holy Spirit convicting you that you need a Savior, kind of like this hour. Convicting that you need a Savior, convicting you you need grace, convicting you you need forgiveness, convicting him that everything he needed to know about salvation he was being told by Paul. Paul standing right in front of him. And his answer was, not now. You say, well, how stupid. A person can be. Not now, but some other time when I have a convenient season. That's all it took for Felix. Here's the point. You don't have to blaspheme God to be lost. And you don't have to murder someone to be lost. You don't have to rape someone or steal something from someone. You don't have to live in detestable sin. To be lost. You can be a respectable person and be lost. You can be a comfortable person. You can be a very successful person and be lost. You can have a beautiful home and drive the most expensive automobile and you can be lost. You can go to church. 
You can like the church. You can even like the preacher. You can be civic-minded. You can want the best for the United States of America. And you can put your whole heart into patriotism and still be lost. You can know all the churchy words. You can identify with the church in different ways. You can go to church. You can do all those things. But Matthew chapter 7 Verses 21, 23 through 23, Jesus said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but who does? But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many, wonderful, uh, done many wonders in your name? And he'll, he'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. They never knew him. They knew all about him. Cognitive, they knew him. Cognitively, they knew him. But a personal relationship, they didn't have. So all it takes for a man, a woman, boy, or girl to be lost is just drift out into eternity without God. That's all it takes. Not now, Brother Sammy, not today. I mean... I mean, really, today is just the uh, today is just the twelfth of June, and I'm young, and I'm a young adult. I've got plenty of time. I never will forget. I I forgot the person's name who passed away and buried in our cemetery, and his young son came to his father's funeral and, and uh, walked up to him and and. Uh, said something about, I'm sorry your father's died. And, and uh, I, I believe he was looking for a place, uh, Brother Kenny, to maybe to be buried next to his father. Maybe it was Kenny that, that said, would you like to pick out a place to be buried? And, and his reply was, I'm too young to die. I'll just wait. I'll wait for another convenient time to make those kind of decisions I'm too young not today I want to I really want to and I'm going to plan to some people think and say but there's some of you today who need to be saved today and you need to come today and the devil said to you not today you don't need to go today I mean really not today you have you have plenty of time that's a favorite thing the devil likes to tell people to see them drift off into eternity without Christ. You have plenty of time. You'll have time to do that. And so if you're taking notes, you, number four, you have the horror of a closed door. Paul's message, conviction of Felix, he responded to the message, and now you have this horrible closed door. Have you ever thought, have you ever... Let me say this. The, the other day I, I got out at a store, I believe it was a CVS, and I go up to the door and it was locked. It was closed. I couldn't get in. I needed something, but I couldn't. It was really frustrating to go up against a closed door. Have you ever thought or wondered or, or have asked the question, why didn't Noah open the door on the ark and let all those on the outside that were drowning in the flood come on board? You may have thought that, wondered that. I know I did years and years ago. And then I read that 
passage that describes the flood and Noah and how Noah gathered his family on the ark as instructed by the Lord and had all the animals. And what was the last thing that was done? God shut the door. God shut the door. God shut the door. In Matthew 25, that passage of Scripture we read in verses 1 through 13, go back and read that again, that parable of those five foolish virgins. Five who were wise went into the kingdom, and then we're told that those five foolish, verse 10 in, 20, in chapter 25 of Matthew, verse 10 says, they came back and, and the door was shut. The door was shut. They began to cry, let us in, let us in, let us in. Verse 12 says, the Lord says, I don't know you. He shut the door. He shut the door. So that brings a, a question that I ask myself. Does God shut the door on a person's life? Does he just shut the door on a person's life? He does. Genesis chapter three, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 3, God says, My spirit shall not always strive with man. My spirit shall not always convict man. The conviction will not always be there with man. My spirit does not always strive with man forever, for he's indeed flesh. His days shall be 120 years, but God's spirit doesn't strive with men. There comes a time when the spirit leaves. <clears throat> I believe Brother Tony made a, sent a picture out and had some copies made of Jesus standing at the door knocking, you know. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus wants to come and live within our heart. But that door was, that door, the picture was a, was a door, but the 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 purpose for that picture was Jesus is knocking on your heart's door. He's knocking on your door. He's knocking on the door of your heart. And he'll knock and he'll knock. And he, have you ever been to someone's house and you knocked and knocked and knocked? And no one came to the door. What would you do? You just turned and stopped knocking. And you turned and you walked away. My spirit will not always strive with man. He strives so long, he shuts the door. He cuts it off. The question was, do you believe God has shut the door on your life? You see, one thing that people believe, I can be saved anytime I want to be saved. No, you can't. You can be saved as long as the Holy Spirit's drawing you to Christ. That's when you can be saved. You may wake up, you may can't sleep at night, and you're thinking, I need to get saved, I need to get saved, God's convicted me, I need to get saved. And it may be, that may happen for a year, two years, three years, and all of a sudden you don't feel that way anymore. Remember this, there's never been a person who has perished that somewhere had a last warning. There's never been anyone that's perished, gone to hell, that somewhere they had a last warning. You don't know when. You don't know where. 
But every person, every man, speaking of mankind, every man that perishes, somewhere God calls the last time. Somewhere. Sometime. A poem, one of my favorites, by Joseph Alexander called The Destiny of Men. Listen to this. There is a time I know not when, a place I know not where, that marks the destiny of men to glory or to despair. There is a line by us unseen that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's patience and God's wrath. There's a line. And God says, no more. Not the last time. The point is, I don't know when it is, I don't know where it is, but every person that's lost, every person that's damned, every person that sinks into hell, every person somewhere had the last warning and his last day of opportunity, and then God shut the door. So as we close, Felix, he... uh, if, If Felix had just stood up, walked over to Paul... And so, Paul, I'm going to unlock this chain. So, Paul, I'm going to give you my hand, and I'm giving Jesus Christ my heart today. And I'm going to ask him to forgive me and to save me. He would have been saved. But he didn't do that. He put it off. I'm going to give you three quick facts. First fact, if you're going to live forever, forget this message. If you're going to live forever, just forget this message. But the fact is, you're not going to live forever. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after death to judgment. The Bible says as death finds you, so shall the judgment find you. Fact number two, if you can be saved after you die, forget this message. Forget it. But you can't be saved after you die. You can't be. Luke chapter 16, verses 25 through 31, you have, you have uh, the rich ruler in hell, in Hades, and he lifts up his eyes into heaven and he cries out to Father Abraham, send Lazarus down here where he can just dip his finger in water and touch my tongue, coo my tongue because I'm tormented in this flame. And, and Abraham said, hey, he can't come. There's a great gulf fixed between here and there. In other words, he can't come there, but you can't come here. You don't get a second chance after you die. Fact number one, going to live forever? No, better remember the message. Fact number two, can you be saved, have another opportunity after you die? No, can't do it. Better remember the message. Fact number three. If you can go back and do things different, forget messing up. If you can go back and and just do things different, but you can't do that. You know, every clock goes forward. I mean, it goes forward. You can't go back and do things different. You can't undo the things you did because time moves forward. You can't go back. You can't go back. But in in practicality, you can start right now by living a new life in Christ. 
So here's the point. I'm finished. God sent me here today. I know I come every Sunday. You're kind of used to that. But my whole purpose is God sent me here today to plead with you to trust Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. To believe the gospel that Christ came and he died and he was buried and he arose again. For you to make your decision for Christ today. For me to plead with you and beg with you, don't be a Felix. Don't be a Felix, because tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow may be too late. Come today, come, come now, while the door of opportunity is still open. Come before that door, that time, that door is closed, that door is shut. Make your confession of faith in the Lord Jesus. I believe with all of my heart what the Bible teaches about Jesus. I confess him to be my Lord, my Savior. Come today, move your membership, get plugged in, serve the Lord. When you stand at the judgment seat of Christ, where you'll have a reward for serving him. Maybe you've been saved and you haven't been baptized. Come today and say, Lord, I, Brother Samuel, I want to follow the Lord and believers' baptism. Come today, don't put that off. There's an old song, I hate to call it an old song. There's a song that we don't sing much anymore. It's not even in our hymn book. It's not been in the last three hymn books, but you'll find it in the old Broadman hymn book. And some of you might have sung this at night at church. It goes like this. Oh, do not let the world depart and close thine eyes against the light. Poor sinner, harden not your heart. Be saved, oh, tonight. Tomorrow's sun may never rise to bless thy long deluded sight. This is the time, O oh, then be wise, be saved, O oh, tonight. Our Lord in pity linger still, and wilt thy thus his love requite. Renounce at once your stubborn will, be saved, O oh, tonight. Our blessed Lord refuses none who would to him their souls unite. Believe on him, the work is done. Be saved tonight. Oh, why not tonight? Oh, why not tonight? Wilt thou be saved? Then why not tonight? Why not today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity to share your word. Thank you for speaking to my heart. And so, Father, I've done all that I can do except pray for those who have heard this message. And so as it goes forth into the hearts of people, I pray you'll speak to their hearts, humble their hearts, as you did Felix, as you, uh, as you did Drusillus. I, I pray that you'll soften their heart, that they'll see their need for a Savior that they'll stop depending upon themselves, something else, but they'll trust you and only you for their salvation. I pray tonight, Lord, that their stubborn will they would renounce and be saved today. In Jesus' name, amen.